Welcome to this week's episode of Dylan's Podcast, brought to you by MLENow.com. That's MLENow.com, where you can get a free, instant business valuation that will compare your business to industry benchmarks so you can see the gap that exists between where your business is now and where it needs to be in order to be successful. It doesn't cost you anything. You can do it as many times as you want. I would encourage you to turn on the notification system so that you can check your business valuation weekly, monthly, quarterly, yearly, set a baseline for yourself, and then beat that baseline on a consistent basis. And you can do that by going to emilynow.com. Today's episode includes a conversation uh, that I had with Ken Terry, a sell-side M&A advisor who talks about entrepreneurs, the sale of their business, what's involved, some of the things that prevent a business uh, transaction from going through. He shares some opinions about the market, as well as some broader opinions about entrepreneurs trying to build successful businesses. So a very timely podcast, given that he says the M&A market has never been hotter. So that's great for entrepreneurs that are building something valuable. And this conversation uh, sort of goes down a couple of different uh, trails. And I think you're going to find it very helpful. So without further ado, my conversation with Ken Terry. Just by way of introduction, in, in a few sentences or less, Ken, how do you spend your days? Well, I spend most of my time trying to help entrepreneurs sell their business or help them figure out what their business is worth. So all things transaction related is what I spend most of my day on. And your firm is located all over Western Canada, is that correct? Yeah, we'd be one of the larger independents in Western Canada. So we would have offices in uh, Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver. I'm sitting in in Vancouver, we do work around Western Canada. Our clients tend to be Western Canadian focused or, or sometimes the broader Pacific Northwest. Uh, when we sell businesses, which is primarily what we do, the buyers come from all over the world, uh, both Canada, the US, and then, and then international beyond that. And so we were talking a week or two ago, and you had mentioned that sometimes transactions can go longer than I don't know, some marriages maybe? <laughs> yes, yes. Or, or maybe maybe I think your words were it can it can feel like they go on for years and you're, you know, they can take yeah. a long time. So I think one of the misconceptions maybe that an entrepreneur would have is it's a pretty straightforward, simple check the box process. And it's yeah. That's probably the furthest thing from what it is when you're working with a small to medium sized business. Is that right? Yeah, people tend to think of transactions as being something that happens at a point in time, you know. If you're buying a business because you're looking to grow, you think of it as a one-time thing that's happening at a specific point in time. Uh, when, when in fact, uh, whether you're buying or selling, it's something that should be done over a long period of time with proper planning. You know, um, most transactions take the actual transaction itself can take anywhere from six to twelve months to execute on, but it should be part of a broader strategy. You know, it shouldn't just be a one-time event, checking the box as you say. It should be something that is part of a a broader strategy for the business generally. So maybe we could just double click into that exact comment. So I'm going to get the obvious question out of the way that I get all the time when I'm talking to entrepreneurs. And uh, why is it that every entrepreneur thinks their business is worth an incredible amount of money and they get frustrated when someone else 
simply doesn't see that. And they chalk yeah. it up to, well, you know, my financial pictures don't tell the whole story, notwithstanding they're not correct yeah. and they're not up to date. They don't really tell the whole picture. So again, without being mean, uh, how would you politically correct? How would you be politically correct in helping an entrepreneur understand why they might think their business is worth so much more than someone like you or potentially someone that um, is coming to the table to buy a business? Well, I think there's there's sort of practical factors in that question. And there's there's things that are maybe more emotional, right? So on the emotional side, it's everybody thinks it's worth something because I think all the work that we do in our businesses to try to create them, to make them grow, to make them thrive, to get them financed, you know, to win customers, to beat the competition, all these things that we have to do we ascribe a differential amount of value in our own mind to that, right? Uh, uh, one of the things that we hear often is is sometimes buyers will say, well, I could just go out in Greenfield and start that myself. And entrepreneurs find that deeply offensive. You know, they spent 20 years building this business. And and how do you think you can just come into this market and start it up? And then they say, well, go for it. You know, you see if we can, we'll, we'll compete against you. So I think there's the emotional element. And then there's the, then there's the practical element, which is things that, uh, you can view it as either things that enhance or detract from value in most smaller businesses. Um, and the and if and the one big issue that kind of rears its ugly head on almost every single small company is is a concept in the valuation world we call personal goodwill. So it's the fact that the value of the business is inseparable from the owner. and if and if it's inseparable from the owner, then it really doesn't have value to somebody else. And most, and so from a from a technical standpoint, most people don't tend to think of their businesses that way. They don't tend to think of themselves as being actually the detractor in value from the business. But that is usually the fundamental issue. How do you end up walking entrepreneurs out of that conversation piece? Yeah, it's it. It usually is about having them try to step back because they, you know, entrepreneurs tend to define themselves by the business. Often, sometimes they would. You know, we, we, we do a lot of, we, we sell businesses and we sort of joke that sometimes people would sooner sell their kids than sell their business, right? It, it defines them. It's part of their, uh, part of the way, part of their, it's an emotional context on it as well. And so I think you have to have them separate themselves from the business and say like, what would happen to this business if you weren't around? What would happen if you went to Hawaii for a month and ignored all your emails and ignored the business? Would it survive? are you able to separate yourself from the business? And so they need to be able to separate themselves from it by, by recognizing the things that they have to do to, to make themselves redundant uh, and therefore create value outside of it, a value in the business that is separable from them as an individual. So what we would call commercial goodwill instead of personal goodwill, somebody's really willing to come along and buy a business. They're willing to pay for the commercial goodwill or the value that's been created in the business outside of the individual. And if that person was not in the business or was taken out of the business, would the business survive without them? And so got to find ways to help them separate themselves from the business and thereby creating value. And that's very difficult for entrepreneurs to do because, and in fact, in society, we tend to value that entrepreneur that is, you know, does everything, you know, good for you. You've started it on your own. You, you're the chief cook and bottle washer. Uh, and, and we admire that when in fact they're creating zero value in doing that. Or not zero, but it's certainly not creating substantial value for them. So it sounds a little bit cliche, I guess. Uh, most entrepreneurs, I'm, I'm picturing a few in my head right now that would roll their eyes at the, yeah, I'm going to go to Hawaii. My business will run itself. It'll be fine yeah. right? because yeah. they, they generally think that 
their business is in that position when when maybe it's not. Uh, but what you just said is also consistent with last week, we had a trustee on our podcast. And one of the challenges that an entrepreneur has when their business doesn't go well, and they're dealing with creditors, mm-hmm. uh, and the government is that they can't separate themselves from their business. They, they feel like the creditors are personally attacking them. In some cases, mm-hmm. legally, that might be the point. But in order to see your way through a difficult moment, you do have to be able to separate yourself from the business. But on the other side of it, you're sort of saying the same thing when it comes to transacting with your business, that if you're going to identify yourself with your business. It's going to be much, much harder to have a productive conversation about selling it and getting a reasonable price for it. Yeah. And to, and to be clear, like I used the Hawaii example, but you're right. Everybody would roll their eyes because nobody can go to Hawaii for a month and leave their business and ignore it. It's just a question of degree, right? To what what is your role in the business today? Are you in a strategic role, kind of a high level leadership role? Do you have a depth of management beyond you that is taking care of the day-to-day operations or are you still approving every invoice? You know, are you still, are you still dealing with it down in the muck of day-to-day operations or have you been able to get yourself up to a higher level where you're able to uh, manage the business, grow the business, focus on the next step, focus on, you know, that acquisition that you want to do as a means to grow the business, which to tie it back to transactions. So you're right. There's nobody can ever leave and be completely out of it. And that's okay. Uh, you can still have great value in a business if you're still an integral part of it. It just affects the transition for you out of that business, the timing uh, uh, and the process that you might go through to, to otherwise exit the business when you eventually decide to do that. Now, if we go down a bit of a different lane, I had called you, I think about a year and a half ago, because I had some questions about two businesses and mm-hmm. sort of spitballing with you about what an end game could be, because in my head, I thought maybe these were businesses that could be sold. And after talking to you, I walked away with a very clear impression that, you know, the market probably isn't big enough to merit any kind of meaningful transaction. There might be maybe a better way to give it to um, a competitor or work with a strategic partner who might just absorb the business as a division of what they're already doing. So I found all of that very helpful. And um, for the entrepreneurs that might be listening now that maybe don't have the maybe there isn't enough weight in their business to merit, you know, a two year M&A cycle because they're just simply not that big of a business. How would it, how would an entrepreneur that spent a bunch of years working in the weeds begin to think about, okay, if I've got, you know, two or three years in front of me and I want to make the most of them. um, And ultimately I do want to sell the business. What is the best way for them to begin approaching their business? Is it to start figuring out how to make themselves redundant is it to start figuring out a strategic partner or is it starting to figure out how do we really add more value to what we're doing to get the sale? Like how would you direct an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's a good. It's a good point. And I, and I, I thought I, I back up a little bit from our conversation that we had a while ago, which was around a specific business uh, and around a specific opportunity. Any business can be sold uh, if properly positioned and if properly and if the business has has made itself saleable. Okay, I mean the 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 unfortunate thing is that most businesses that start and eventually uh, uh, look and look to be sold are not particularly saleable. So what what you're what you're getting at is you know how do you create something that is saleable? What should they be thinking about doing? And it starts with number one, they should get a sense for does the business have value today? And if it and if it does, what is enhancing that value? What is creating value? And what's detracting from value so the conversation that you and i had previously was more was mostly about 
you know, was there that value in that in that particular example that you were using? Was there value there that made it worthwhile going through a you know through a sale process or trying to find a potential buyer? And there may be some things that needed to be done in that business. So it'd be stepping back and asking yourself, what's it worth today? Uh, and if there is things that are that are detracting from value, what are they? And can I do something about them? So the the example of making yourself redundant and personal goodwill that's a big 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 one for for small businesses and for entrepreneurs generally. Um, but there's you know there's other things like what is the nature of the cash flows? You know, are they consistent? Are they highly volatile? If they're consistent, is that because they're contracted? If they're contracted, are they with a, a, a narrow number of customers or do you have a broad customer base? You know, how diversified is your business from a customer perspective, from a supplier perspective, from the industries that you target perspective? Or how diversified is your management team? You know, are you heavily reliant on, you might have made yourself a bit redundant, but are you heavily, heavily reliant on one or two individuals that would really uh, cause trouble if they were no longer with you, right? So how do I, how do I, and, and are these things uh, aspects that I can overcome to create value? Because when somebody is looking to buy a business, they're fundamentally looking to buy the future cash flows associated with that business. And so when they look at that business, they say, uh, and try to determine what it's worth, they look at how much risk do I perceive in those cash flows? So that's what it comes down to. The saleability of a business comes down to whether there's the level of risk that is perceived in those cash flows. And if there is high, high risk perceived in those cash flows, it's very difficult to sell. Going back to the example of the individual business owner and kind of that, that tie to the business, people perceive that if you are the business, that there's a high level of risk in those cash flows of not continuing if you're not around. That's fundamentally why they wouldn't want to buy it on that basis. So it's all about how can I de-risk or, or create uh, or explain to folks in the future when I'm looking to sell this business that these cash flows are will continue because that's what they're going to buy. They're going to buy those future cash flows. So, so having a look at your business, stepping back, what's it worth today? What's detracting from value? Once you understand what that is, what can I work on to change that over the next, you know, two, three, five years, whatever your time frame is. Uh, and, and, you know, you can, you'll be able, depending on what industry you're in and the nature of your business, you'll be able to impact different factors to different degrees. No, there are no such things as perfect businesses, but that would, uh, that would be a good place to start. Now, some of these questions might have had a bit of a, a negative undertone to them, but what's a positive yeah. example? Can you think of a, uh, without, you know, names and numbers and that sort of thing, but just the experience, can you think of maybe a, a, a transaction where an entrepreneur just sort of did all the right things? Um, they were, you know, they ran their business at a grassroots level. They were able to get it to a level where maybe they had a management team in place. So they were still involved, but maybe not in the weeds every day. Um, they were able to come to uh, to you and your firm, and they were able to tra transact successfully. So, what does a what does a generally a good experience look like, and a well prepared yeah. entrepreneur that that knows what what path they're going down? Well, I can think of one example, and I won't I won't name names, but it was a it was a business that uh, that was a distributor. So we often deal with in our practice, we often sell distribution businesses. So they, you know, they just bought and sold uh, a particular type of products, and and the the Owner at the time we sold it bought the business from uh, his father, and and you know worked in the business as a as a as a as a young man, and then built the business up over time. Uh, bought it from his father, and then uh, over the years expanded the management team to a to a point after about twenty five years where he was actually able to uh, to uh, to be not in the business day to day, 
who was actually retired on, on the island, uh, Vancouver Island. And the business was run day to day by about five senior managers that, uh, that he had built over, over a period of time. Second, second piece of uh, uh, sort of process that he engaged in over 20 years was that he diversified the products that they were selling quite su substantially such that I think no more than 10% uh, of their business was in any particular industry that they were uh, products that they were selling. So he'd done a very, very good job of that. Um, and then he'd incentivized those management, that management team through, in, in this case, there was kind of a phantom equity plan. They didn't actually own shares in the business, but they owned, uh, uh, they had a reward a bonus system that incentivized them like they had equity. So he'd sort of put the, the pieces in place to create, uh, you know, a diversified business that was diversified from a customer perspective that had a depth of management associated with it. And then when we sold the business, we went through a structured process to sell the business. We approached a number of buyers, both industry players as well as financial purchasers. And he was in a very good position because he had this professional management team in place that was happy to continue running the business. Uh, there was no concern about, about whether he was actually necessary for the business. And so it ended up in a, in a relatively, uh, uh, really, really good outcome, uh, outcome for him. Now, that whole process, of course, it took him 20 years to sort of build, 20, 25 years to build the business to that point. Uh, and there was lots of uh, issues along the way. You know, they had issues around foreign exchange problems with with uh, products that they were buying overseas, et cetera, et cetera. But they, they, they worked through it, found ways to get around all that stuff and ended up being a really, really positive outcome. And the management continued on for, I think, about five years afterwards. Most of them stuck around with the buyer that ended up buying the business. So, so a real positive story, right? Real positive outcome. I don't know that that he thought in great detail about all the things that he was doing all the time uh, and setting up a business that was well positioned for a sale. Uh, but he just thought about what can I do to make my business better? What can I do to grow the business? And, and in doing that, he ended up creating a really saleable business. You know, that's, it almost happens organically if you just, if you're focused on making your business better. So that's probably just a good single soundbite is if you're focused on making your business better, it organically leads you down the path of a management team, of figuring out how to diversify out your customer base um, and having to build, you know, a business that can go into the marketplace and compete for the top spot, if not just take the top spot. That's very interesting. One yeah, the, I, think, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I was going to say the point there is if you think about building a business to sell it from day one. You know, if you if you if you think I'm going to just build it to sell it, so that I can be ready at any time to sell it, even if I have no intention of selling it in five or ten years, then you're always going to be ready to respond to somebody that might approach you, and you're always going to be uh, in a good position to actually have something that is saleable, even if you don't intend to sell it. So build it to sell it. That's the you know that's the theme. Now I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard as well, but one of the hardest things in business to do is to value a private corporation. And I imagine that there's, of course, a whole bunch of factors at play. But if we look at the snapshot of time that we're in right now, everyone knows we've had a pretty rough couple of years. Uh, the business culture um, and society, work from home, personal freedoms, four-day work weeks, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, for an entrepreneur, as, as they're considering some of the external factors that affect um, their business and valuation, how much does their valuation have to do with those external factors versus sort of the core pieces of their business? Is it 
is it a is it a big um, uh, impact to the kind of number that they're going to get, or is it just depending on when you want to sell your business, you could sell it for X amount today, and depending on the market conditions, you could probably get X times two tomorrow, or is it is it yeah. just a yeah. box that no one can really figure out? It's a great question. It's a great question. It, it's a bit of what do you control and what do you not control, right? Um, I guess when we think about timing to sell a business, it we think about it sort of three three things. Number one is what's you know what's happening in the market, okay? And then, and then you're right. There's some specific things we can we can talk about about sort of what the market looks like today. There's how does the business look at this moment in time? You know how ready is it to be sold? Have you done some of the things we talked about in terms of uh, building? aspects of the business that are enhancing value. And then probably the most important is like, is where are you at personally as an owner? You know, where, where are you at in your, you know, your own personal uh, goals and life cycle and, and how long you want to continue to work and what you want that role to be and what do you envision as life after sale? People tend to think of a sale as a point in time. You know, I'll take, I'll go through a process of the time and I'll sell it to my competitor or I'll sell it to whomever. But really it's a, it's a process, right? And it starts with, planning the actual transaction and then what does my life look like after sale you know a lot of people don't necessarily think about that so so again the the, the context is what do i control well I, I i as best as i can i can control what the business looks like today how it's doing today how its cash flows are doing today that'll be influenced by the individual market and the industry that i might be in some of them are cyclical uh, there'll be different points in time that you might perceive as an owner that this is a good time to sell because it's a it's a particular moment in time for my industry. So that's that's an important thing that they need to consider. And they, some of that you control, some of that you don't. Then there's the market itself, which which ebbs and flows. You know, when we when we think about the market we've been in for the last number of years with COVID, uh, it's been quite fascinating. When COVID first hit, every single person in my business thought that this is going to be a very terrible, terrible time for transactions and that we were going to be working on distressed transactions. We were going to be desperately trying to help people find financings, all this. And, and every single person in my business was dead wrong because it ended up being, we are now sitting in one of the strongest M&A markets that we've ever seen. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we can, we can dive into that, but it's been, it's been a very strong market. So now as an entrepreneur, we don't, we don't control that. You know, that's just the state of transaction markets at any given time. But the element to, think, to bear in mind as an entrepreneur is that when it comes to private business valuations, what's interesting and what we've observed in, uh, over the years is that the valuation of private businesses, um, at least from a multiples perspective, people tend to think about, well, I'm going to sell my business for three times or four times or five times. Those multiples tend to be quite durable and they tend to trade in a particular band, almost regardless of what's happening in the economy. So even during the last recession in 08, 09, you know, multiples maintained themselves in a particular band. Uh, they have they have strengthened over since that time, and they've strengthened a little further with the market the way it is right now, post-COVID, where it's very, very strong. But not to the point that you might think. It's not like valuations are up 50%, you know, from a from a multiples perspective. They tend to so private company multiples tend to be quite durable. Then all you're worried about is, well, what are we, what cash flows are we applying those multiples to? And that's where you get the, the impact of time. You know, how have, how, have, how have our cash flows been in our business since COVID? Our, has our business survived COVID well? Is, is it doing well? Uh, have we returned to pre-pandemic levels? All those sorts of questions. That sort of impacts the timing question that you mentioned. So, so, but again, like I said, 
good to bear in mind that there's that all is not lost if the market is not strong, because most private businesses tend to trade in a particular band of valuation multiples. And then again, I think the last piece of timing and market considerations is is when when is the right time for you as an individual? Because the business can be doing fantastic, the market can be great, but if you're not ready uh, personally or 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 sort of know what you want to do post transaction, then then the trends it's not it's not a good time for you. So just a quick side question: Is there any value to an entrepreneur getting a baseline for their business? So maybe coming to chat yeah, with them like yours and saying, "Hey, here's where my business is today. Ken, not really ready to sell, but I just want to get a baseline in place. So the next time I come to visit you, I can have a conversation about what's changed. Um, I've taken the time to start getting my head in it. And uh, is that a strategy for an entrepreneur? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you've sort of answered it in the sense that one of the primary reasons is to have a baseline so that you know where it is today, what you need to do to enhance, to improve that value, uh, how you can make it better. And then, and then, and then looking back periodically to understand how it's changed. Right. Um, um, so I think that that's, that's an important element to make sure that you have some sense of, of how it is changing over time. The other piece of it is that, is that many entrepreneurs, I think you said at the outset tend to, uh, you know, tend to have a particular view of value of their business, right? And feel that it's valuable. And oftentimes it, it, it isn't as valuable as they like, you know, because sometimes, and, and this, this happens to all of us, right? As we, we own our business. I mean, I'm a business owner and we're all business owners. It, 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 you ascribe more value to something than, than it's really worth because you're in the midst of it, right? You, you know, we breathe our own ether, right? Uh, and that, and that's sort of, uh, that sort of, it's good to get an independent objective view of that because sometimes it will surprise owners. Uh, you know, sometimes, and, and, and in fact, they sometimes will find that, that A, it surprises them and B, they, they maybe had a sense of what the value was worth based on, on information that comes from all sorts of places that aren't really necessarily good sources of information, you know, so, so you want to get that independent view. You know, I, I, I tend to think of business valuation is, is an, is an opaque world. It's an art and a science, right? And when we think about when we, value something you know we're always buying things every day all of us are buying products buying services and there's usually a lot of information out there that tells us whether we got the right price whether it's the right product for us whether it's the right deal when you actually go to value your business it's much much more opaque and much much more difficult and it takes a it takes you need uh, information to fill in some of the gaps and some of the some of the best information will come from getting it done professionally getting an advisor to give you that to give you that help Absent that, you tend to focus on hearsay and things that you hear. You know, my neighbor about 12 times. Wow, that must be fantastic, you know. Uh, and then you start to say, well, hang on, 12 times what? Like, what exactly, what are we talking about here? I don't know, you know, but these, <laughs> you know, these are the things that uh, hearsay and speculation that leads to misconceptions and really uh, false expectations. No, that's good. And again, I think that's a good, a good little tip. As we come down the home stretch here, because I know you blocked off some time um, and you've always got a lot of things going on. I was wondering if you could maybe conflate two things for me. Um, sure. You said we're in the hottest M&A time that we've probably seen in quite some time. So if we just park that over here for a minute. Mm -hmm. Then on the other side, what are like the top three or four deal killers um, that, um, you know, uh, stop you dead in your tracks or stop a buyer or a seller for, and they, yeah. you know, they sort of just walk away. So if you can conflate them, great. If you just want to make them separate ideas on their own, that's okay too. But 
I imagine given how robust the market is right now, that there probably are some things that are killing deals. Valuation, I'm imagining, might be might be one of those, but be okay just yeah. to maybe button our button our chat up with those two questions. Yeah, so there, there's well, I guess I can do a couple things. One is I can tell you sort of what's driving the market a little bit. Uh, and then and then what are the things that that are killing transactions? I guess maybe starting with the latter, you know. It doesn't matter when we are, where we are in the cycle. There's some things that just are typical deal killers, and you hit the nail on the head on the first one, which is valuation. Sellers tend to have expectations that maybe aren't met by the buyers. Buyers maybe are trying to get a deal, quote unquote, uh, and maybe the two don't come together. You know, and there's ways that you can bridge gap on valuations, type of consideration. You know, um, through negotiation and deal structuring, you can bridge some assets versus shares. These kinds of things. But generally speaking, valuation is the is is the usually the number one deal killer, and all the more reason that folks need to have a good sense to your question earlier, a good sense of why what it's worth today, so that they go in with real realistic expectations. Um, the next one I would say is probably time, and by that we mean uh, we in in our world we call it sort of deal fatigue, you know, because when you, most transactions a lot of them start with things like you know. Dylan, I come to you and I say, you know, I really like your business. I think I'm interested in buying it. And you think, wow, I wasn't thinking about selling, but let's see if we can do something here. And it's kind of like, it's a bit like dating, you know, it's kind of exciting, right? But then, but then after I'm going into diligence and picking through all the things that I think you've done right or wrong or different, right? Suddenly it starts to get a little irritating. And over time, sort of the love at first sight wears off and you start to get a lot of fatigue in the business, right? A lot of deal fatigue where people are just, they kind of forgot what they got into it for in the first place. And after four or five months, the thing just crumbles. And so time does not bode well for transactions generally. So I'd say that's probably the next the next thing. Things dragging on is a problem. Uh, and then another would be maybe a lack of commitment. Again, using the example, I approach you and you think, ah, maybe, maybe we should do something here. Not sure you're really a committed seller, right? Kind of everybody's a seller for the right price sometimes, right? And maybe you're wondering whether I'm a committed buyer. I'm kind of thinking I want to grow into your market, but I'm not really sure. So let's just sort of dance around and see if there's something there. Neither party really has a commitment or is following a structured process. That'll be a that'll be a red flag of a deal killer. Um, and then lastly, I would say the availability of financing would be generally a, a, a deal killer. So when times are tougher, like say in 0809, when when bank lending dried up. Uh, that was a tough time for transactions because it wasn't the, the financing wasn't that available. So getting back to your original contrasting, you know, what's driving the market today? There's a lot of things, but one of the main things that's driving the market today is money is 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 very cheap, as cheap as it's been in 50 years. So a lot of capital and the banks are are open and lending for transactions, you know, and just general financing. And so that's very different than when 0809 crisis hit relative to COVID. COVID uh, there was definitely a pullback in the early stages, but after that, uh, banks have been open and some financing has been dirt cheap. And that's been absolutely just throwing fuel onto what was already a strong market to begin with. Right? And then I'd say a couple other factors that have made it made it a sort of a strong market has been that when COVID hit, every single business, I mean, I don't care who you are, every single business did a strategic reset and thought, what are we going to do? You know, And what came out of that and they all did it simultaneously. What came out of that was a lot of companies said, oh, we need to buy, we need to acquire, we need to grow, we need to diversify. You know, the, the COVID has shown us there's inherent risks in our business and we need to diversify. So that's led to a lot of buyers. And then for the sellers, it's been every single person kind of reassess their own life, you know, 
everybody sat back and said, is this what I want to do for a living? You know, is this, is this what I want to continue to do? And they all sort of, and it was the first time in history where, where business owners who generally perceive their business to not be all that risky, I mean, uh, because they're in control of it, saw situations where your business could go to zero. Like nobody had ever experienced that before. So it led to a, 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 a rising tide of people saying, I'm not sure I want to continue doing this for another five or 10 years. I think now's a good time for me to sell. So you've had this, this uptick of transactions, a thriving, very strong market. Uh, just as you were talking, I was thinking, uh, what is it, what's, what um, drives the decision to transact? Is it um, someone approaches a business and says, hey, I'd like to buy you, or a business says, hey, we'd like to go out for sale? Just generally speaking, which, how do transactions come? What's the most popular yeah. transactions come about? Yeah, well, the popular saying going back to I don't know when it was, you know, businesses are bought, not sold. And I'm not sure that that's actually true, but that's kind of a, a snappy thing that people tend to throw around, right? Um, so in other words, that suggests that as a seller, you should sit back and wait for your competitor to come to you. And then when they do, you know, hey, you asked me to sell, so you got to pay up, you know, that, that, and, that, and that's a bit of a fallacy. Uh, now, a lot of transactions start that way in the sense that you get approached unexpectedly. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a high percentage of transactions. But the, the, the question is, is that seller, when they get approached, are they actually ready to sell? You know, are they actually positioned their business such that that the timing may be fortuitous, but they were ready to sell anyway, right? So that, that's, that's, you know, that's kind of the, 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 that's one aspect of it. But most transactions that are successful are transactions where the seller is thoughtful about when they want to do it. They prepare the business for sale. And they go through a structured process to do that. And what I mean by a structured process is they think about, okay, what's it worth? Let's get some advice on that. Uh, who do I think might buy this? Let's think about that and let's 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 plan for that. Maybe even maybe even position myself to be uh, acquired by particular companies, perhaps in the industry. Uh, and then let's uh, go through a process that approaches those folks on a confidential basis, uh, that is structured, that has timelines, that avoids the avoids the deal fatigue that I talked about earlier to ultimately create a successful transaction and maximize value through, in that example, competitive tension, you know, having multiple parties interested at the same time, because the issue of somebody being approached with that one off is that you're dealing with one party. You are in a, not in a strong negotiating position, right? So, so better to have multiple parties potentially. And so you have to design a process that balances how fast you do it, how confidential, how, how you manage confidentiality and how you maximize value. Ken, you've been great, man. I just can't help but ask because uh, um, I, I'm a deal junkie. I have been yeah. since I met you many, many yeah. moons ago. What is the, the best part of what you do every day? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, the, the best part, honestly, is that, is that we impact people's lives. You know, it, 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 everybody, when you think about transactions for entrepreneurs, you know, they tend to, they'll experience it either because they try to buy something someday because they want to grow or they'll do what everybody hopes to do. And they'll hopefully do, and they'll only do it generally once in their life, which is to sell the business. And if they, and if it's only something you're going to do once in your life, it has a big impact on your life. You know, uh, uh, you know, I had a client years ago who, who, you know, we sold their business and they bought a place in Hawaii and he'd phone me from Hawaii. Hey, come to Hawaii. You know, it was just, you know, it had a great impact on, on his life and his, and, and his, and his, his spouse as well, who was in the business and their entire family. And so, so I think that's what I get most excited about is that we actually have a meaningful impact on people's lives. You know, we're not, 
we're not like uh, we're not like uh, uh, advisors that they're doing things that people don't uh, that, that that don't uh, enjoy the process. You know, it's, it's something that we can really impact their lives, and it's really really rewarding. And 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 every deal is different. You know, as much as we can bring structure, like we are to this conversation, as much as we can bring structure around things they should be thinking about in the process they should be going through, everyone's a little unique. So it's super it's super exciting. Ken, someone's listening to this and they think, man, that guy's great. How do I get in touch with him and talk to him? What's the best way to yeah. do that? Yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I've got a, you know, I've got a profile for both our firm, Sequoia Partners and myself. And uh, yeah, anytime, reach out and uh, happy to chat with anybody anytime. All right, I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. Ken, great seeing you again. And thanks for hanging out. And um, hopefully, hopefully some folks were able to get something out of this. And if anything... My personal hope would be that an entrepreneur is listening to this. Maybe they can dial down their own internal rhetoric and get serious about building something that's worth um, that's worth selling and take you know a lot of um, a lot of direction from some of the stuff you left here today. So thanks very much. Thank you, Dylan. Appreciate it.